family of faith. Praise the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, you sure are looking good this morning. How awesome it is to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. I can't think of no better place to be. Amen. I don't, I don't know what's going on in your life or what's going on in your world. I, I do know that the Cowboys play today at 12. So depending on how you engage the message, I'll either preach short or long. How awesome it is to see the family of faith today. You know today God can do something incredible in your life. If you'll just open up your heart and let God be God, amen. Do you know it's hard for people to let God be God? Did you know that's a, there's a hindrance in people just, just trusting the Lord just long enough for him to enter in and rearrange some stuff in your life. And I know sometimes we come in and we, we, we come in battered through the week or maybe you've had a tough week and you've had a, a job situation or a crisis or a thing and we get to church sometimes we're all out of breath and, you know, we get here and we're just, we're just happy to sit down. But can I encourage you today to just open up your heart and let the Lord peer in and let God move upon you. And I promise you, if you let the Lord move on you today, you're not going to be the same. Amen. And I would encourage you today that if you've gone through all the trouble of preparing yourself to come to the house of the Lord, why not make it, make it worth the while, right? Let's just let the Lord in. Will you look at your neighbor right now and say, you need to let the Lord in. You need to let the Lord in. And if they've got a frown on their face, say, you can go ahead and smile, baby, because God's got it. Amen. You can go ahead and smile. Amen. How many did they know that we should be giving thanks because thankfulness is an expression Giving thanks is an expression of our faith. How many know when we give thanks, we give thanks because we believe God's already moved on a situation. God's already done a thing. Amen. And there's already a predisposition of our faith working when we say, thank you, Lord, for doing the things that you're doing. What an awesome thing it is to be in the house of the Lord. I promise you today, God's got a word for you. Amen. So let's do this today. We are finishing our, our series, the main event. This is the last stop on this awesome series Today we are at the Battle of Jericho, if you want to call it that. And so we are in the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 5. So I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to read the word of the Lord as we customarily do here at Harvest Point Church. If you haven't noticed, amen, it is awesome, awesome, awesome to see George and Yesenia Garces and Christian, amen. What a blessing to see you guys. They came in through the door, and we just hugged each other and, and thanked God. And so it's so good uh, to see uh, George and Yesenia. And, and I know here pretty soon um, uh, we got Christian here, but he's, Christian's going to bring his, his, his sister with him next time. We'll, we'll get to see Briesson and hug on her and give her a big kiss on the cheek and tell her we missed her. And we're thanking God for being so faithful. So anyway, it's good to see the God Says family all the way in from... Houston, Texas, as they've been working through a, a very, a very uh, a, a medical issue that God's been faithful. Amen. God's been faithful. So we thank God for that. Amen. Glory to God. Tonight, tonight, we are still, how, how many have been watching uh, the stream? We've been, we've been in the, 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 the series Stirred Up. Amen. If you haven't been watching that, can I encourage you to get there tonight? We've been, we've been in a series called Stirred Up. Tonight, we're going to interrupt that because we have a special guest tonight. Uh, several months ago, I met, a, I met a, a, a brother in faith, and his family has been attending since then. If you haven't had a chance to meet the, the Estrella family, y'all kind of wave your hand over there. They, they, they have been uh, coming to church already now for several months. And, and when I met Jesse, he says, Pastor, I've got a testimony. And I says, you got a testimony? Like, and, you know, I just felt like there was something there. And I says, well, let's go eat lunch. What time you got off? And he says, so in, in a matter of a week or so, we went and had lunch, and he shared a testimony, man. I'm telling you today, join me tonight. He's going to be on the program tonight, and Jesse's going to share a powerful testimony. You're going to be blessed. So if you want to be encouraged tonight, we're going to be uh, 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 tuning into that tonight. And so let's just be ready. So Jesse, we're going to have a time tonight. Amen. I, now, now, Jesse, did I see you pull up today in a blue pickup truck with flag, Dallas Cowboy flags? Was that you? Is that the official truck of the Dallas Cowboys? It looked like somebody means business out there. So you must be a diehard uh, Cowboy fan. I'll give you a little moment to give some props if they win or lose. I don't know what's going to happen tonight. 
but but we're going to have a time uh, this evening. You're going to hear Jesse's story. You're going to be blessed. Amen. Trust me, you're going to be blessed. Amen. So let's do this. We're in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading here at verse 8. I'll take it all the way through the, the end of verse 15. I am reading from the King James Version of my Bible, but I pray that you read along with me because what we're about to read will be pertinent to you as we get back into some of these verses as the message continues uh, in the next few minutes. So, so read with me. This is Joshua chapter 5, beginning at verse 8, and it begins like this. And it came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. Somebody say, that makes sense. And the Lord said, I only got one laugh over there. Thank you, Brother Billy. And the Lord said unto Joshua, this day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at, the, at, at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, catch this, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the self same day. Verse 12, and this is important that we catch this. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So as soon as they entered in, right after they had been circumcised, the Bible says that the manna stopped. Now watch what happens, verse 13. And this is the main event. This is where, where, where we get cameo appearances of the Lord the person Christ in the Old Testament. Catch this. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and beheld there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as the captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the ground and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereupon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Did y'all see that? This is awesome. We were at the burning bush last week. That place was holy. Jesus shows up. That place is holy too. Come on, somebody. Y'all ready? Pray with me. Come on, let's pray. Let's get our minds connected here. Let's get an affirmation of our faith as we get into the words of the Lord. Let's pray together. Amen. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've made. A day that, Father, we're going to purpose to be glad and rejoice in it. Father, today we enter into your courts with praise. Father, we, we enter in with, a, with, with thanksgiving because we know this is the day that, Father, things can change. Things can be moved, rearranged. They can be moved and rearranged because, Father, we're going to hear your word, a rima word, a timely word, a word by which we can rearrange the, the, the things of life and put back things into the perspective that they should have been in from the beginning. Father, I pray that faith be increased, that, that understanding be increased. I pray... Holy Spirit, that you move effortlessly upon the family of faith that when we leave out of here today, there'll be such a glow because we've been in the manifested presence of God. I pray today, Holy Spirit, that the things that will be said won't be lost. And I know that the enemy comes to pick up the seed that's planted, but we pray today that, Father, that the, the Holy Spirit, that the words that will be spoken out of your heart, out of your unction, will produce in the family of faith 30, 60, and 100 times that which was sown. And we pray your blessedness, your purpose here with the family of faith. And we pray that together as a family, as a church, as Harvest Point Church comes together. And we pray this in your mighty name. And we all say amen and amen and amen. And listen, why don't you do me a favor? I need you to go, do me a favor, and I need you to say something to somebody today. Very, very, very important. Will you go grab somebody? Listen, I want you to catch this now. I want you to go grab somebody. This should be fresh in your spirit. I want you to grab somebody, and I want you to tell them this. 
God is a personal God. Will you go grab him and say, God is a personal God. Just go grab him. Say, he's personal. He's personal. Go grab somebody. Say, he's personal. He's personal. He's personal. Our God is a personal God. Our God is a personal God. Our God is a personal God. God is a personal God. Today I come with a caution, a warning. I, I pray that today you'll give me your undivided attention. I, I've come to give you a solemn warning of the scriptures by the prophets themselves. I don't come with an old warning, a, a new warning, pardon me, but an old warning. A warning that's been going on throughout all of the ages of the scriptures. Through the annals of time, I come with a warning, a caution. It comes to us, delivered to us by the prophet Jeremiah. In the 17th chapter, verse 9 of the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah says this. That your heart is deceitful above all things. Jeremiah says your heart is deceitfully wicked. And he ends it with the question, who can know it? Do, do you realize today that there is something inside of you so contrary to God? So contrary to the notions of our faith about God or in God that it has become a distraction to you through deceit. In fact, it's Jeremiah who says, who can even know it? No one knows the depth of the depravity of the human heart. Your heart is contaminated. In fact, it's, it's Solomon who gives us an expression of that when he says to us, guard thy heart. This is, this is the fourth chapter of the book of Proverbs. Guard thy heart with all diligence. Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. What most of us are going through or, or, or experiencing in life is typically the result of the human heart. Our hearts are very dangerous things. Oddly, I live in a culture where the culture is trying to tell its people or its persons to, to, to follow your heart. You ever heard that before? Where people tell you, well, just, just follow your heart. Do what feels right. Not realizing that that is the pathway to destruction. Do you know that you have a heart problem? Do you know that within you, made in you, in that old thing, in that person, that flesh, is contaminated with a bad heart? You have a heart condition, and it's contrary to God. And I come with that caution and that warning, and I pray that you would give me your undivided attention, because I've come to present to you the remedy, the cure. And I pray that you would be interested in having a heart for God. Do you know that the prophet Ezekiel comes to the nation of Israel with, with news that is spectacular? Because anybody that hears this situation where you have a heart that its disposition is contrary to God, and, and I'm talking to Christians, or I'm talking to believers, that if anything, we want our heart to be right with God. 
And, and it is in this context that if anybody has any similarity or any thought towards Christian faith, you know that if we have a bad heart, we also know the, the, the oxymoron of that is that we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. We're supposed to love each other as ourselves. Immediately we see the contrast, the contradiction. How can I have a bad heart and yet serve God? And it was Ezekiel that delivered to us the message of God. This is what God says. Ezekiel chapter 36. He, God said to Ezekiel, then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean. This is a prophetic word that we saw satisfied in the second chapter of the book of Acts. He says, then will I sprinkle you with clean water, sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. From all your filthiness, from all your idols, will I cleanse you. Now watch this. And a new heart. Look at your neighbor and say, you're going to get a new heart here. And a new heart will I put inside of you. A new spirit will I put inside of you. He says, a new heart will I give you, and a new heart will I put inside of you. And I will take from you or take away the stony heart from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'm going to put my spirit inside you. And he says this, and cause you to walk in my statutes, to keep my commandments, my judgments, and do them. In other words, what God said he's going to do is going to give you such a disposition that you're going to have a heart which is circumcised. Somebody say circumcised. I know it's weird to say that because we know exactly what we're talking about. I mean, circumcision isn't something that you want to talk out in public. It's something that's private. <laughs> it's a private matter. God said, I'm going to give you a circumcised heart. It's interesting that in this context... That what, 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 what Jeremiah is saying, he's saying to us that what you ought to do is going to become the thing that you love to do. For is not that a circumcised heart? Do you know there's a lot of people right now in their Christian faith just going through motions? There's a lot of people through an act of self-discipline, they've been able to go through the motions of church, but never coming into any level of personableness with God. And there's a lot of people that read their Bible and go through all matters of motions of faith, but they don't have any faith to rely on. And listen, brother and sister, I don't want you to be in here, Mr. Roboto. I don't want you to go through the motions of your Christian faith. I want you to have a personal experience and a personal relationship with Christ. I want you to know God, and I want you to, him to know you and you to know him. I want it to become intimate. Listen, do you realize that as a pastor, if I'm, if I'm pastoring people who just simply have a knowledge of God, and I say not a natural knowledge of God, and are absent of faith, how difficult it is to pastor people who don't have a relationship with God? I want you to have something real, friend. I, I, I want you to get up on Sunday morning, and you can't wait to come to church. I want you to go home and you can't wait to get into your word. I want, I want to find some people that have, there's a desire in you, a love for you a, a, the, of the things of God, that you're just so saturated in God, that you love this stuff. I mean, everything that you love in life has become personal. I mean, how many know your kids are personal? And you love your babies. You'll do anything for your babies. I want your relationship to be greater than the love that you have for your family. There would be a radical transformation if you treated the things of God like you do your family, your children. Be a radical transformation because it becomes personal. That God said, what I'm going to do with you is I'm going to give you a circumcised heart. And we need that heart, don't we? We need a circumcised heart. Circumcision is the act of cutting things away, removing the excess, getting rid of the things that keep us from really realizing the person Christ. Do you know there's a lot of things in your life that are keeping you from realizing the person Christ? I'm not saying keeping you from church. 
I'm not saying keeping you from doing things. I'm saying there are things in your life that are prohibiting you from having a personal relationship with God. And that's what he wants with you. God wants to have a personal relationship with you. Our God is a personal God. And if I'm going to interact, if I'm going to transact with God, it's going to have to be personal. Well, you look at your neighbor and say, it's going to have to be personal, baby. You're not going to get them with your religious rhetoric. We got to have a personal relationship with Jesus. It comes because we have a circumcised heart. This is the thing that God said he's going to do with you. He's going to produce in you by his spirit a circumcised heart. Isn't that amazing? That, that the new creature that's being formed in you has an appetite for God. <laughs> That wants God, that loves God, that loves the word, that loves the church, that loves its brothers and sisters, that wants to see the will of God. It has a heart for God. Its mind, its disposition is for God. This was what God said he was going to give to you. The question is, do you have it? Have we quenched it? Have we put it aside? The work of God in us. And this was the news that, was, that, 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 that the prophet Joel and the prophet Ezekiel was given to the family of faith, the Israelites, that there would come a day where your heart would be truly circumcised unto God. And Paul would talk about that. Some of you know Paul talked about that. He says this, for circumcision, Paul said, circumcision verily profiteth if thou keepest the law. But if thou be a lawbreaker, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Y'all know these passages, Romans 2. He says, for one is not a Jew that is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter. In other words, he didn't want the people of Israel to go around being robotic in their obedience to the commandments. He wanted them to have a real relationship with God. How many know that the Decalogue is not ten laws? It's expressed this way. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and love thy neighbor as itself. Is not that the work of the Spirit of God inside of you? Has, has he not been working in you? I wish I had a witness right there. Has the Holy Spirit been working in you and purposing in you? Has he been tapping you and saying, hey, baby, I want to talk to you. Come meet me. I want to say something to you. Let's open up your word. Let's do, come on, come on, let's get going. There's some things happening here. Anybody been, been moved of the Spirit of God? I'm so thankful that he's moving in me and stirring in me and convicting me and helping me. And what is he doing? He's drawing me into God. He's drawing me into God. When no one else reminds you, the Spirit of God is right there trying to draw you in. Listen, friend, if your relationship with God is nothing more than a task, you're not born again. If you can't find the time to get alone before God, you're not born again. The promise of God was that he was going to put a spirit inside of you and that spirit was going to draw you to himself. It was going to produce a new heart, a new mind, a new thought towards God. And friends, listen, you need a new mind towards God. Because the mind that you have right now, that natural mind, is enmity towards God. It's hatred towards the Lord. He said, I'm going to put a new mind inside of you. The greatest exposition, the greatest exposition ever told about the purpose in that was given to us by Apostle Paul in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Open your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, slide your finger down to verse 9. You, you, this is how Paul describes it. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9. It is the single greatest exposition given to us in the word about what would happen. We would get a mind. And what mind? The mind of Christ. How many want the mind of Christ? Listen, when, I, when I'm thinking through stuff, I don't want to think through it in my bill. I want to think through it through the mind of Christ. I want to see things through his mind. I want to observe things through his mind. I want to know it through his mind. I want to be connected to his mind. I want to speak that faith. I want to talk that faith. I want to move in that faith. This is the mind of Christ. I want the mind of Christ. Give your neighbor a high five. Say, I want the mind of Christ, baby. Touch them back, say, don't mind me, mind the mind of Christ. I want the mind of Christ. 
greatest exposition. 1 Corinthians, uh, uh, chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. What does it say? For as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. For God hath revealed them unto us, what? By his Spirit. For the Spirit does what? Searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man within him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. For we have received, listen, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit, what? Of God. That we might freely know the things given to us of God. Which things we speak. Not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but what does it say? What, which, which the Holy Ghost teaches, what does it do? Comparing spiritual things with what? Come on. Are y'all there? Listen to what he says. For the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they're what? They're spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judge of no man. And who hath the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? And what does he say? We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind. Will you, will you say, I got the mind of Jesus, baby? I know what Jesus is thinking. I just may not be acting on it as I should, but I've got the mind of Christ. Will you give your neighbor a high five and say, I got the mind of Jesus? I got the mind of Jesus. Somebody say hallelujah. I don't want my mind no more. My mind don't work in the things of God, but I got the mind of Jesus. I think like him, I move like him, I speak like him, I see like him. This was what God said he was going to give to you. Somebody say hallelujah. You want new vision? You want new hearing? You need Jesus to do that. You want to see things like you've never seen before? You want to walk like you've never walked before? Baby, what you need is the mind of Jesus. You need to let go of everything and let the Spirit of God begin to take you where God wants to take you. Somebody say hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah. Somebody holler out loud, I got the mind of Jesus. Got the mind of Jesus. You get the mind of Jesus, your wife starts looking fine. Husband, you don't need another woman. You need the mind of Jesus. Husband, you'll never know how beautiful your wife looks until you get the mind of Jesus. What you need is a new mind. You need a new mind. This is the promise. Friend, that's why the Holy Spirit's coming to your life. Because he produces the circumcision, the separation that's necessary to meet Jesus. You're not going to meet Jesus without circumcision. You're not going to see God without circumcision. You say, well, why is that so? Because it's not personal yet. Listen, friend, can I suggest to you that the moments that I saw the Lord was when something became personal in Christ. When I began to hear the Lord and experience God was when became, this stuff became personal. And friend, I'm here to tell you, Sunday morning's experience is not personal enough. You know, people come to church and we'll spend an hour here and we'll think we're going to get the fullness of the glory of God. It's going to have to be more personal than that. God said, if you want to see me, you got to search me with all your heart. You know, there's a lot of people come to church, a lot of naysayers on the outside. You come to church with your arms crossed. And you say, well, man, listen, I went to church and I didn't see God. That's your problem. You, you want some Lord? You got to go get it. You got to seek him what? With your whole heart. In other words, it's got to be personal with you. The things of God aren't that way by nature. They're personal because we have a personal God. How many know our God is personal? I mean, God could have created this act of circumcision by simply telling you, okay, listen, we're going to practice circumcision. I want you to wear a ring on your finger. Or maybe we're going to practice circumcision and you just keep your hair short or wear tight clothes. But you have a personal God. And you know, he said, we're going to circumcise your private parts. 
that weird? Circumcision. You know what I'm talking about. Circumcision. Is that an odd thing to ask? Is that a strange thing? Don't you, don't you consider that God would, would, would go to a private place? Come on, guys. I see you all got your eyes all squinched up at me, looking at me like I'm talking crazy. I'm talking about circumcision, babe. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be scared. Don't start blushing in the house of the Lord, acting like you don't know what we're talking about. I'm talking about circumcision. That, that God said, listen, this is, this is personal with me. And I'm going to go to the most personal place on your body to show you to you in a symbol. Just how personal this is with me. Somebody say hallelujah. I mean, uh, let, me di- let me digress to show you what Jesus did. Some of, some of y'all know this. In the second chapter of the book of Colossians, this is what Paul says. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead. Watch this. Bodily. And you are complete in him. This is for the modern Christian. Who is the head of all principality and power. In whom you also were circumcised. Without hands. In the putting off of the body, the sins of the flesh, and have been catches circumcised, listen, with the circumcision of Christ. Jesus was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And now I have been circumcised with Christ's circumcision. Well, well, what was Christ's circumcision? He was cut off. My Jesus went to that cross and God cut him off. He was on that cross and he circumcised me. Y'all better hear this, baby, because that's how personal it is. Jesus circumcised me. Not with hands, but on that cross through his blood. He separated me. He was cut off so that I could be grafted in. And friend, if you never take Christ personal, you're not going to get an invitation to the things of God. You're not going to see God. And it's so essential that the church understand that what we're talking about is something personal. Let me digress and get back to the the occasion, to the text. The the text tells me that that after they were circumcised, sometimes when, when we read that just in a few preceding verses, that the Bible says that there was a heel of foreskins, a heel. You say, well, how is there a hill of foreskins? Because 601,730 men were circumcised at Gilgal. Let me say it again. 601,730 men were circumcised at Gilgal. And the Bible says it left a hill of foreskins. Look at your neighbor and say, there was a hill of foreskins. I'll give you a moment to put that image in your mind. I can imagine all the ladies looking at it saying, oh, God, hey, good. Look at that big hill of foreskin. That's bloody. That's painful. There was a whole nation of men that were in the wilderness that didn't know about circumcision. They were in the wilderness. You see, they were walking in a circle like many Christians walk in the circle. Uh, You're just in in a repetition of things. Going from one Sunday to the next Sunday. There's very little personableness of God in your life. You are in a cycle, a Christian cycle. You take refuge in that cycle as though you think that when you meet God, your cycle's going to save you. Listen, do you know that when you get to heaven, you're not going to get to heaven because you went to church every Sunday morning? 
Though you should be at church every Sunday morning, you should be at every Bible study, you should be at everything that this church is putting on. You're not going to get there because when the offering plate went by, you put a consecrated offering. You're not going to get there because you tithe or you gave your offering. You're not going to get there because you're a tenant. You're not going to get there because you're your good deeds. You're going to get there because you got personal with Jesus. Because you got personal. I want to get you out of that cycle. So they were in that cycle. They were in a cycle of just going in a circle. Do you, can you imagine the cycle was so terrible that the nation of Israel, the people kept going in a circle? Do you know that as they went in a circle, they were burying people as they went in that circle? And so cyclically, they would see the deaths of others. An aunt, an uncle, a brother, a sister, a mom, a dad. And they would see that, 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 that headstone, that place, that burial site. And I'm sure they wanted to break the cycle. They just didn't know how. And I don't know if there's anybody in here this morning that you, you know you're in a cycle. Some of you right now in a vicious cycle. And you know what the cycle is? It's called life. And, and I've preached in this church before. You are more than just somebody who pays bills. And oh, that I could grab some of you and look you dead in your face and say, do you know what God can do with your life and what, how he can radically alter you and change you? Don't you know? I wish I could just grab you and say, listen, God has so much more than what you're experiencing and he wants to give it to you. But you got to get personal. You must be circumcised. And we're all just wrapped up in our lives. We go to work, we do this, we do that, we come home, we eat, we go to sleep, get up, do it again, blah, blah, blah. And then, oh, I got to go to church tomorrow morning. So God is just a, a period, a punctuation to the week that you've been living. And there's more to God than that. More to God than that. You, you, you know why you're addicted? You know why you have an addiction in your life? Because it's not personal yet. If you suffer in your prayer closet, you know why you don't pray? Because it's not personal yet. Are you laboring? Are you struggling? Uh, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. All you that are working and through the work you become encumbered, come to me. He says, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And he says, you'll find rest for your souls. Uh, you, you understand that the promised land, let me just, let me, sometimes I have to digress because sometimes you, we may not have all the biblical knowledge that we should. You know the promised land is nothing more than a figurative way of God saying. It was literal to them. But it's, in that figurative, they were going into a land. But to us, there's a symbolic meaning, a spiritual meaning, that there's a land that you can enter into where you find rest. Somebody say rest. Rest. Isn't that nice? Rest. Where there's a land that God says, I'm going to bring you into, a promised land. If you get personal with me, I'm going to bring you into this land where you rest. Somebody say rest. Uh, doesn't that sound nice to just say rest? I just want to rest. I want to be in a restful place. I want to rest with God. I want to lay down in green pastures. I want to I be with God. I just want to rest. I want to get some peace. I want to get some stuff going on. I, I, I need some recuse. I, I, I need a vacation. I, I need to get away. I just need some rest. Rest, 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 rest. Somebody say it out loud. Say, I need some rest. These people had walked in a circle for 40 years. They seen death all along the way. And you know, there's a lot of people today, you come to church, and maybe nobody has told you that it's going to cost you something to be a believer. Maybe, maybe I'm the first preacher that you've ever encountered that's going to tell you the truth about the gospel. You see, the gospel is a cutting away. You don't just get to say a prayer and think you're going to heaven. You go to heaven because you have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. And in fact, if you had one, you'd be waiting on him to come back anyway. And many people waiting on Jesus to come back. I say, Jesus, Mary, not for the Lord. Lord, come quickly. Lord, come fast. Lord, come back and get me because my reward is in his hand. See, if you got a personal relationship with Jesus, you're not stuck here thinking about here. You're thinking about there. You've set your affection in heavenly places. Maybe I'm the first brother, the first preacher to ever tell you, it's going to cost you. You're going to have to cut some stuff away. Cut some stuff out of your life. 
Maybe, maybe nobody ever told you that God was personal. Maybe nobody ever told you that God wants to get into every detail of your life. That our God is an intrusive God. The Bible says he's a consuming fire, even a jealous God. That when he sees your affections going other places, he gets jealous about what you've been looking at and what you've been loving on. You've got a jealous God. Anybody know jealous people? Jealous people will slash your tires and roll your trees with toilet paper. They'll go through your phone and look at all your text messages and be questioning everything about who's this and who's this person. Why'd you call them? Why'd you say that? They're into everything, every conversation, everything going on. Why? Because they're jealous. And you've got a jealous God. And if any of you had any sense, you'd be saying, God, why are you jealous over me? I'm nothing to be jealous about. But how many glad God is jealous about you? Isn't it nice to have a God who's jealous about you? I wish I had a witness right there. Somebody just run across this sanctuary and say, I'm so glad I got a God who's jealous about me. My God loves me with a love so deep, a fathom love, a hot love. Somebody say hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and say, God's got a hot love. God is hot when he loves. Maybe nobody ever told you it's going to cost you everything to get close. There's a lot of people that, you know what, listen, brothers and sisters, there's a lot of people here. Maybe you didn't grow up in church and nobody ever explained this to you. And you're just like the people in the wilderness. They didn't know, listen, how we deal with how we meet God has everything to say in what we're going and, and what God wants to do. And the first prerequisite, it's got to be personal. Listen, and if you have to come here to heal up, that's okay too. Because you know, when you get circumcised, you need time to heal. How many know the Bible says they had to wait to get healed? Because they didn't know it was going to be this painful. Y'all hear that? How many know for everything in life that you're doing, there's a cause and effect? Whatever you give up, you lose something else. Did you hear what I said? Whatever you put your attention, you can only concentrate to one thing, one thing at a time unless you're schizophrenic. And whatever you put your mind to, whatever you put your love to, you're investing in something. And God wants to be the primary investment. This is the act of circumstances. What's what the Holy Spirit is trying to do? And you know he's trying to do that because you're here as a result of that. You didn't come to church of your own power. You didn't get up today in your flesh and say, I'm going to go to church. It's the Spirit of God inside of you that says, I want to draw you closer. Get up, get your clothes on. He's the one that when you don't come, you feel conviction in your life. You feel like you're missing something. He's producing that because you used to live your life any way you wanted to live your life. You didn't think about church or going to hear the pastor or anything about God. But how is it that when you got saved, now you want to come to church. Now you know this is something essential. Now you know your word is essential. Now you know prayer is essential. These are the things that the Spirit of God builds in you. This is Paul. I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. This is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do I got anybody on that? That you know you've got to come and present yourself. You've got to come and present yourself to God, circumcised in the Spirit of God. Circumcised. Present yourself, baby. Present yourself. Man, what God can do with you, you have no idea the things that God will do in your life and give your life meaning. Jesus says, the enemy cometh forth but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life uh, and that you might have life more abundantly. Oh, that I can reach out and grab you and say that God wants to do so much more in your life. So much more in your life. So much more in your life. He wants to do it. Do you know that the Bible says that when they circumcised themselves at Gilgal, the Bible says that the manna stopped. It stopped. When that hill of foreskins was piled up, God said, no more manna. Oh, that I wish Harvest Point 
could make a hill of foreskins today. That God would say, no more manna. You see, the manna was but a symbol of the person Jesus. Do you know that for 40 years, the Israelites travailed in the wilderness and there's only one dietary supplement, only one food that God gave the nation of Israel? And you know what it was? It was manna. So when that little boy would come to his mama, mama, what's for breakfast? Baby, we're having manna this morning. Well, lunchtime roll around. Mama, what you making for lunch? We have a manna for lunch. Uh, ma ma mama, what, 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 are you, what are you making for dinner, mama? We, we're eating manna. Manna for dinner, son. Well, mama, we ate that yesterday. And the day before yesterday. Last week and the week before that and the month before that and the year before that and the year before that year and the year before. That's all we've been eating is manna. Balls upon balls upon balls upon balls upon balls of manna. You ask why? Do, do you know that the name of Jesus, that God of himself says, there is no name higher in heaven? That there is no name higher on earth or under the earth. That Jesus reigns supreme. That in the mind of God, the answer to your prayer is Jesus. The answer to your need is Jesus. The answer to your marriage is Jesus. That he's the answer for the world. That it's Jesus. What this? Jesus. I need that Jesus. Help me hear Jesus. That Jesus is the answer for the whole world. It is the one thing that God provides. The answer. The food. The supplement. Jesus. And that's all they had for 40 years was Jesus. In symbol. Do you know there's a lot of you that you've been knowing about Jesus for a long time, you just never met him? I'm surprised you've been able to come to church this long. How boring. Aren't you bored? I mean, aren't you bored with it? I mean, you come and hear the preacher talk about the, the nature of God and the person of God and the hand of God and the power of God, and you've been hearing about Jesus your whole life. You just never experienced Jesus. You tired? I, I'm amazed at your willpower. God says, There's more to me than manna. I want to give you more. Than a bowl of frosted flakes. It was just but a symbol. Daniel, I got a long way to go, man. You may want to sit down, brother. You came up way too soon, brother. You, you, you playing with me now. I don't want him to distract you. You can go have a seat, man. Go have a seat. Go have a seat. Go have a seat. Because I ain't even close to finish. Because I'm talking about circumcision. Talking about circumcision. I don't know, just my opinion that somebody in here may want some Jesus. I just thought that maybe you came in here today saying, you know what? I want a real, personal, bona fide relationship with Jesus. I want to see him. I want to know him. I want to experience him. I'm tired of talking about him. I'm tired of philosophizing. I'm tired of theology. I just want to have a personal, intimate experience with Jesus. I want to have a personal intimate experience with Jesus. Now catch this. Do you know that the day that, that they were circumcised and there was a hill of foreskins, that all of a sudden Joshua is out trying to figure out how he's going to overtake Jericho? I mean, that's what he's there for, right? You know how it is. He's a warrior. He's trying to figure it out. I want you to see the symbolism. That here's Joshua. This is a man of God. This is a man who, when he first went to the promised land, when he saw the giants, he says, if God's given it to us, we can overtake them. 
This is a man for no reason, but, but, but for those that were around him, had to live 40 years in the wilderness because he was around people who didn't have any faith. Uncircumcised people. Aren't you tired of uncircumcised people? Listen, do you know that the only people in my sphere of influence are people who are circumcised in Christ? You know why? Because I don't want to hear what you have to say. I want to hear what God's been telling you. I got a real small sphere of people because I can only find a few people who are truly circumcised, who don't have no bias, who aren't trying to look pretty, who aren't trying to be fine. They just know that they can hear from God. They've been circumcised. And here's Joshua trying to figure out, how am I going to take this city? And he knows that Jericho has a strategic position. They have height. The Bible says nobody's going in, nobody's going out. The archers on the wall would easily dispatch Israel. Do you know the Bible says that when they first came into the promise, check this out. You know when the Bible says when they were first coming into the promised land that they sent the Ark of the Covenant, right? The Ark of the symbol of Jesus. Do you know that the River Jordan was already full? Its banks were over flooding. But when, when, when God told Joshua, when the priests get to, when they touch the, 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 the edge of the River Jordan, that, that I'm going to create a path for you. And the Bible says that that river Jordan uh, began to stack up like a heap, like, like a great mountain. And the nations that were in Canaan saw a mountain of water. And the Bible says that their hearts waxed with fear and they were overcome. They say, here come the Israelites. Jesus is with them. God is with them. And they were terrified. right? And they were scared. And so they locked up that city. Joshua didn't know how terrified they were. He was trying to figure it out. How am I going to scale those walls? How am I going to get over? How am I, how am I going to do that? And as he was out there pondering what he was going to do, he ran into a man who had a sword drawn. Manna wasn't falling. Because now that you've been circumcised, now you can have a personal relationship. So what happens? The personal Jesus shows up. He doesn't come to yip-yap. He has a sword. Did you hear what I just said? That Jesus doesn't come to talk. He comes as the captain of the host of the army of God. He comes to do business. He comes to execute the will of God, the purposes of God. Well, how did that happen? Because this got personal, and there was a hill of foreskins, and, and no more manna was coming. And so when the manna stopped, the real manna, the real bread of life, shows up in person. This is a personal God who shows up in person to deal with the personal matter. Do I got a witness right there, man, that, 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 that all of a sudden the manna stopped, and then the real manna showed up because they got personal with somebody. It got personal with somebody. It got personal with somebody. It got personal. Once it gets personal, the personal Jesus shows up. He didn't come to talk, yip yap, look pretty, look nice. He didn't come born in no little manger like a little baby, but instead he's there with a the sword drawn. You see, he comes to do business by his word. You know he came to do business by his word because when Joshua saw him, when, when Joshua saw him, he said, hey, you, are you for us? I mean, because he looked dangerous, right? He had, a, he had a sword drawn. He looked like somebody who was ready for battle. Hey, are you for us? For our adversary. He said, I'm not here for either one of you. What a beautiful statement. I'm not here to do your business. I'm here to do his business. I've come to ensure that what he said comes to pass right here. I've come to do the business of God. Do you know what your life needs? Your life needs the infusion of the business of God. You want to have a, pearl, a, a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus? What you need is the will of God moving in your life so that you might see the power of God and a personal Jesus intervene on your behalf. 
What you need is the will of God, the purposes of God, the heart of God. And that's what the circumcision produces. It produces a heart for the will of God, for the mind of God, for the purposes of God. And here's Joshua scratching his head trying to figure out, and all he needs is a personal Jesus. And Jesus comes and says, I'm not here for you or for the adversary. I'm here on behalf of God. This is nothing more than the New Testament expression of faith. Jesus now comes as an expression of the fullness of salvation with the sword drawn. And what does he do? The Bible says if you watch, if you watch what happens with Joshua, the Bible says that the Lord said to Joshua, friend, take off your shoes. Because where you're standing is holy ground. Now, y'all didn't get that. Y'all didn't get that. Man, that's, that's rich. That's rich. He says, take off your shoes. For where you're standing Friend, this is holy ground. No, you missed it. Let me say it one more time because if you got it, you would have took off running, running down Matlock, screaming and hollering that you're about to encounter God. Let me say it one more time. He said to Joshua, Joshua, where you are standing is holy ground. I've taught you what is holy ground. Holy ground is anywhere God is. You've heard me say, what is evil? Uh, evil or wickedness is personified by anything that displeases God. What is holy ground? Everywhere God is. Joshua is standing where God is. It's not a unique experience, friend. This is a, this is a relationship that God wants to have with you. That you might get into those places where you know that where you're praying, where you're standing, what you're doing is holy ground. Why? Because God is right there. I wish I had somebody. I wish I had somebody get that. Because the Bible says, know ye not that you are the temples of the Holy Ghost. That wherever you are, God is. And there can be a personal, divine, intimate relationship with God. In so much that you might say of yourself that the place where I'm standing is holy ground. Well, how do you know it's holy? Because your faith is being turned over. And God is speaking to you. And God is revealing his will to you. That that's where God is. And we're experiencing an intimate, divine communication with God. Intimate divine communication with God. You know, when you speak with God, you're going to need faith to hear it. How many could say amen to that? How I many you know the Bible says that without faith it is impossible to please God for those that country must believe that he is and that he is the reward of those that diligently seek him. You want me to say it slower? For without faith it is impossible to please God. Because those that come to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him is the fullness of the expression of what it is to be on holy ground. You know, when God talks to you, it becomes holy. When God says, this is what I'm going to do, it's holy. When God says, this is my plan, this is what I'm going to do for you, you're on holy ground. When God says, this is how I'm going to change the matter, this is what I'm going to send to you. When you start speaking to God, you get a taste, a flavor of what it is to be on holy ground, man. Listen, holy ground will change your life. Uh, it'll make you take off your shoes. Uh, you'll reach down and say, where I am is holy. This place is reserved unto God. Uh, you know why you take off your shoe? Because you say, I'm not going nowhere else. Uh, I found an answer. I don't need to go anywhere else. Uh, this 
this is where I found God. And you take off your shoes and you say, I'm just going to stand here until God does what God said he's going to do. I've been on holy ground. I don't need to run nowhere. I don't need to go nowhere. God is right here with me. I can settle myself. I can be at peace. I can be at rest. God's going to do what God said he's going to do. And I trust my God because I've had conversation with the holy God. Give your neighbor a high five and say, baby, you don't know it, but where you're standing is holy ground. Go hug somebody right now. Give them a big hug. Get up and leave your seat. Go find somebody and say, baby, where you're standing is holy ground. Where you're standing is holy. It's holy. It's holy. It's holy. It's holy. It's holy. It's holy. Holy ground. It's reserved unto God. It's the work of the Lord. It's God speaking. It's holy ground. It's holy ground, it's holy ground, it's holy ground, it's holy ground, it's holy ground. Baby, what you need is a holy ground experience. The Bible says that Joshua fell down and gave obeisance. I mean, he's talking to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the captain of the host of the army of God, and he, he worshipped him. Notice what Jesus does next. Notice what Jesus does next. He stands up that Joshua and says, Joshua, look. Look at Jericho. I've given it to you. We, we call it the battle of Jericho, but could I suggest to you there was no battle there? Because the battle wasn't his, it was God. See, brothers and sisters, when you have a holy ground experience, when you leave that experience, you know this, God's going to do it. See, if you've never had a holy ground experience, you're still trying to figure it out. God's not personal enough with you. See, but when you get alone with God and you get a holy ground experience, you walk out of your prayer room, you walk out of a conversation with God, and you come out excited because you know it's God who's going to fight the battle, not you. And you stood him up and said, Joshua, look, I've given Jericho to you. It looked like the same Jericho just moments before he saw him. But now he's looking through the eyes of faith, through the eyes of of a holy ground experience. Friend, what you need in your life is a holy ground experience. Where you walk out of your prayer closet and you're not wearing your shoes. Where you said, God spoke to me. I don't have to walk anymore. I don't have to go any further. I don't have to travail anymore. God's got this. And you stand there, you declare it, your faith talks, you start speaking about what God is doing. That holy ground experience causes a revolution in your life where you say, I know my God's God. I've got a personal God. He says, look, look, Joshua, I've given it to you. That's what I want you to do. Get the priests, not the warriors. Get your worship team together. We're just going to walk around Jericho. See, y'all are good at walking, right? Y'all been walking 40 years in a circle. Now we're just going to make the circle a little smaller. And it's not going to take near as long. Because on that seventh day, all I need you to do is worship. All I need you to do is celebrate. Just, just go out there on the seventh day. When I tell you, just blow the horn. Just worship. See, this is holy ground. This is personal. And friend, listen. Don't blame God for the problems in your life if you've spent all your life trying to solve them. Don't come in here with your arms crossed talking about well, where was God when I had this problem or the other. The real issue is you never had a holy ground experience. You never got close enough to the, to the Lord to begin to hear his voice, to know what to do. You spent your time, your money, your efforts, your strengths. You became discouraged. You became disenfranchised with the church and with people and with preachers and everybody else concerning God. 
But the truth of the matter is you never had a holy ground experience. The truth of the matter was that your trial was supposed to lead you closer to God, but instead you went away from God. Rather than running to him, you ran to a friend, a place, a thing, a drug, alcohol, whatever you ran to. And now you're addicted to this and addicted to that, and you still got a bad opinion towards God. But I've come to tell you, my God is a personal God. And if you make him personal, he's going to show up, and he's going to give you a holy ground experience. He's going to give you fresh revelation and new knowledge so that when you come out of that place, your shoe's going to be off your feet, and you're going to say, where I'm standing is holy ground, and God told me he's going to do it for me. Do I got a witness out there? Is there anybody here say, you know what, preacher? you're right I spent all my life trying to figure it out and all I needed was a holy ground experience all I needed was to press in with God just to press into the Lord oh keep saying I'm already past 12 the game already started I know y'all was worried about that it's five minutes in I don't even know who has the ball come on I don't even know what down it is but I know I've had a holy ground experience. And I want you to have one too. If you haven't already had some, that we can press in to God. See, Jesus turned and said, look, I've given Jericho to you, Joshua. All I need you to do is go in the little circles you're used to making. You're good at circles, baby. But you let me do the battle, and on the seventh day, I just want you to worship. Blow your horns, and the walls are going to come down. You're not going to lose no man. You're just going to run straight in and take the city. See, people with holy ground experience, they have worship. You know why? You know why they're full of thanksgiving? Because they know what they talk to God about. He's already answered it because he's a personal God. I'm going to have you stand with me. Stand with me because maybe... Maybe the a movement might help stir you just in the natural. Maybe that'll transcend into the spirit. Listen, you got to move towards God. 